Buenos dias, Matt Waldman. Good morning and happy off week to you, sir. Or no, it's Super Bowl week. What did I say? We're coming off the off week. I'm like, you go Sunday without football and you lose all sense of time and proportion. I can see certainly see how that happens. That's for sure. But it's always college football watching pretty much around here, 365 days a year. So, so well, I, I well, like that the, being the yeah. case. That being the case, there's probably, a, and by the way, he's working on the rookie scouting portfolio. You people know that. You should go to Matt Waldman, rsp.com or mattwaldman.com anywhere and find that, and we'll talk a little more about it. But I think the first uh, story we're going to talk about here, there are some connections. Cliff Kingsbury heads to uh, Washington after spurting the Raiders as their offensive coordinator uh, to become the offensive coordinator there for Dan Quinn. Uh you know, there's a couple of layers to this story. Let's start out with the one that'll be of greatest interest, immediate interest to fantasy managers. Uh, what does this do to Brian Robinson's fantasy value? Yeah, I mean, I don't think it hurts it as much as people think. I mean, uh, if we remember, Cliff Kingsbury had James Conner, and James Conner looked pretty darn good in that offense. Um, even if that offense wasn't great, he was still a capable fantasy producer. Now, if we're looking at top five upside... Uh, depends on how often they can get into the red zone, which th that means that you're probably looking at him more as a low-end running back one, high-end running back two as your ceiling um, for him. So it dips him a little bit, but it's not the death knell for his fantasy career, at least from, from my standpoint, from what I can see, because Robinson can catch the ball, and he's proven that he can pretty much do it all for you. Yeah, and we're assuming Antonio Gibson Jr. will be moving on via free agency, and that will leave a little more path, a uh, certain more path to workload. So the obvious, you know, additional issue there is it seems like wherever Cliff Kingsbury goes, quarterbacks follow uh, <laughs> the Kyler Murray situation in Arizona. Now we see Caleb Williams, uh, Kingsbury most recently, an offensive consultant for USC and uh, Washington within striking distance at the 102 of moving up to the 101. Uh, how, how fanciful is this notion? It's, it's, I don't think it's that fanciful. It's very possible that they could go that route for sure. Um, you, you know, the fascinating thing to me isn't some, I mean, if you, if you end up with Caleb Williams in that scenario, I do worry that you're basically looking at the, at the worst end of Caleb Williams to start his career, meaning that he's going to be more Kyler Murray-esque in the sense of running around like a chicken with its head cut off and the you know, in and around the pocket and not maybe playing as structured football as he could potentially do. Um, so there's a little bit of, you know, there's, a, oh, we've seen my, my dog sack something. Yeah. That's his sack that he's got right there in the back. So as you can see, it's RSP season. I give him paper bags. He, he likes paper bags. To I think it's, a safe, it's probably a safe choice. It's a safe choice. You know, it's better than my ankle. I'll just put it that way. So, so we'll feed the dog. But uh, but yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, this is one of those scenarios where um, certainly you're going to get boom bust out of Caleb Williams if, if we see Cliff Kingsbury, you know, able to finagle their way to acquire him. Um, but um, also the thing that kind of concerns me more than anything isn't the running back or who they pick, at, who they get at quarterback, but the wide receivers sticking them right. to one side of the field and leaving them right. there. The joke okay, was, my next question. yeah, Devontae Adams probably is like, 
I wonder if Devontae Adams came in and said, um, you're going to have to trade me if Cliff Kingsbury comes to comes I mean, No motion, no shifts in alignments, none of the kind of things that, you know, generally lead to successful offenses. Uh, I think that was a complaint in Arizona. It was very, very much, you know, easy to figure out what was going on and nobody moved around and, and the players didn't like it. The fans didn't like it. Opponents seemed to be just fine with it, though. Yeah, and you, you know, I mean... I look at Cliff Kingsbury's house out there in the Southwest, and then I think him going to D.C., where we know people get paid money to not do a lot of things that maybe they should do. Um, and whatever side of the bench you're on there, I don't really care. It's pretty much the truth, you know. Um, so I kind of feel like Cliff Kingsbury fits right in with this. Like, he's kind of <laughs> Peter principled his way all the way to D.C. Um, I, I would bet after this he runs for Congress. You know, yeah, I, I would say that that bit. I'd say that that's probably where he's the best fit, where there's no motion, things are predictable, and you know, I won't get any more political than that. And there outcomes are predetermined. Okay, <laughs> uh, I like I'm totally ambivalent to you know this move. I, I mean, you know, what were the alternatives? Uh, Chip Kelly uh, seemed yeah. to be the next name on the list, or at the, at the top of the list. And by the way, he was at the top of the Raiders list supposedly until Kingsbury came along and then they hired Luke Getze who comes off a sterling run in Chicago so <laughs> that kind of tells you where Chip Kelly's probably at in the hierarchy out there people so we'll see if he ends up with the job not a lot of not a lot of openings left um in the Rams for the Rams there's some free agent issues uh Bryson Hopkins so a lot of times we remember the last thing we see right as fantasy managers yeah. we're going to be drafting Jameson Williams at a premium just like we drafted Gabe Davis a couple of years ago at a premium after huge, you know, playoff ending performances. Uh, remember, Jameson Williams, it was three touches, people. Three touches. Yeah. Um, but also, uh, Bryson Hopkins, but, you know, Tyler Higby got hurt. He's going to be a free agent. Is somebody in the NFL going to pay for that single game? Um, probably not. They're not going to pay for that single game, but someone's going to pay for him being a, a promising young player. I think we need to remember that you know this is this was someone who had good run after the catch ability um very athletic as a receiver um couldn't really block extremely well and had some issues dropping the football back in his days at college um but kind of promising in the way that i'm trying to remember the new york jets tight end who played at purdue who used to drop the ball Justin keller yeah dustin keller he's got a little bit of dustin keller in him thank you for that um so he could be underrated but i would i would say underrated in the scope of you're in a 40 plus i you know 40 plus roster team where you have expanded practice squad spots and you can practice squad a lot of rookies and then you can add this guy if you have extra room if you're in a premium tight end league otherwise i would say wait and see in training camp he's more likely just a nice number two or number three tight end for a team who could work his way up you know atlanta has a lot of those types of guys um michael pruitt is a good example well, he's a well, michael pruitt type let's spin this out then let's say he ends up in pittsburgh where arthur smith is the offensive coordinator and needs some outlier pieces to destroy the lives of fantasy managers. Uh, let's talk about Arthur Smith in Pittsburgh. Yeah, I love that. Well, I think that means that Hayward is probably the guy that right now, who's the, the former fullback tight end from Michigan State, who's gotten on the field a fair bit. 
they already got Washington, Hayward, and Fryermuth, so we know that two of those three guys are probably going to be okay, and it's probably going to be the more athletic two. So Fryer, I don't know. I feel bad for Pat Fryermuth if we, um, if this works out the way it did last year for with Pitts, but Pitts was playing with an injury on top of that, so we'll mitigate that some. And we have to remember that with Arthur Smith last year, while everybody's whining about, you know, Bijan Robinson and and Drake and Pitts and them not getting their usage. If you isolate the passing game, what I saw early on, and it didn't change much, was that Desmond Ritter was so bad at being able to read the field with routes that work dynamically between zones that I think the offense was set up more to have routes that end statically. They just break back to the quarterback and sit there and wait. Because if they start breaking across the field, it confuses Desmond Ritter. And he doesn't know, you know, the red light, green light, he's a little, he doesn't know which 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 one is which in terms of when to let the ball go. And I think Smith knew that. And I think the offense was designed to be a little simpler for him. And it still didn't work well. Um as a result of that. And I think that you're going to see more dynamic offense, obviously, for the Falcons. But I also hope that if, depending on who they get as their quarterback, that Smith will just be relegated to, look, make the game plan, and I want a game plan that works. Don't worry about your quarterback. You, you know, we'll, we'll find a quarterback here. Make the game plan as dynamic as it can be. And I think Arthur Smith can do that. He did that. He had success with makeshift pieces in Tennessee right. I think he'll return to that with Pittsburgh now that Mike Tomlin will be the one managing him I think I'm going to go ahead and feel this as well I think you know our buddy Matt Harmon it seems to be pretty high on it as well I know there you know, the initial angst of Steelers fans is understandable coming off what we saw but but also remind you you know that we're you know go back to Tennessee I mean the Arthur Smith's offense was better than Matt Floor's offense in Tennessee that got him a head coaching job. So there, it's not like we just made up the fact that Arthur Smith is known for being an innovative offensive mind. And yeah. we can go back to no further than Cordero Patterson uh, to see some of that, how Arthur Smith, you know, Cordero Patterson does some things really well. It's a narrow band of a few things. And Arthur Smith cobbled together, twisted up this role that turned him into one of the top fantasy producers uh, the season a couple years ago. So I'm not like, I'm not sitting here at a total loss saying, oh, fuck this. Uh, Arthur Smith is going to ruin everybody in Pittsburgh. He may make things better because if you'll recall, the last guy there, Matt Canada, wasn't great in the interims. Uh, didn't, you know, aside from a spike week, big week one outing for them, uh, didn't do much beyond that. So I kind of, I kind of feel this move. I think this might be a, a positive move there. I'm, I'm with uh, you because listen, you can't dice vegetables with a fork, and De and Desmond Ritter was a fork of a quarterback. Right, that's right. Without a quarterback, a lot of things don't work. Yeah. Uh, in uh, Tennessee, we'll, we'll we invoke their name. Uh, so we're assuming Derrick Henry's going to be gone. Although there's a little uh, happy talk this week. Uh, Brian Callahan not opposed to having him back. Uh, but I think the expectation from fantasy perspective, I just did a mock draft the other night, my first big mock, full mock draft, where I got Derrick Henry in the seventh round. Come on, people. What are we thinking here? Uh, he's going somewhere. Uh, and even if he returns to Tennessee, one of the things that you have to like about this situation is Bill Callahan, not Brian, Bill, his dad, one of the best offensive line coaches in football showing up to do something with one of the worst offensive lines in football. Now, Rand Carthon's got to do something in terms of bringing some personnel in. They need to shore some pieces up. 
But having Bill Callahan's a good piece. So whether it's, you know, Ty J Spears solo or not, I mean, what does this do? What Like, is Ty J, Ty J Spears' stock, stock is rising. Does it rise even higher uh, with you, Matt, because Callahan is there? You feel that? or, or it, it, it does when Derrick Henry is confirmed gone. If Derrick Henry is confirmed gone with Callahan there, um, stock rises. Um, it was going to rise anyway because he can catch out of the backfield and he, and he played pretty well even with that crappy offensive line performance. But um, if they get the right, if they get, there's three factors. Basically, he could wind up being almost to the point of people thinking he's overrated and still be as advertised by August if they acquire some free agents, make a trade, and or draft linemen that are quality who could play right away. If they uh, if they don't do that, and it's just, but Derrick Henry's gone, he's still, his stock still rises as a top 24 back. I mean, this is a, a very talented player. And with Callahan, you got to remember what he did just recently. If we're going to go just recent, Cleveland had massive amount of line in injuries to its line last year and lost Nick Chubb. And they still were pretty good running the football with, you know, an aging Kareem Hunt and Jerome Ford. So Jerome Ford certainly delivered fantasy production. And I I think that Tajay Spears is is more talented than Jerome Ford. And I like Jerome Ford. Uh, I totally agree with all that. We'll see. We'll see. I, I I have a closer eye based on that initial mock. And I look. I think there'll be a course correction on Derrick Henry when he finds a home. But if you're out in the best ball rooms early and you're getting Derrick Henry in the seventh or eighth round, uh, don't shy away from that, people. That's a that's a little bit of a lottery ticket. Yeah. Running back twelve last year, who looks like he can still get something done, especially if he's in the right Baltimore Ravens uniform. I'll just yes. wish cast a little yes. bit there. Wish I'm with you America. for both of us. <laughs> like, I, I would take other teams too, but that would be like the ideal. All right, speaking of ideal, it seems to me, Matt, to be uh, ideal that Bobby Slowick is remaining with the Texans and Jared Johnson, too, the quarterback coach, also stuck around, had some, entertained some uh, interviews. And Ben Johnson, obviously, staying in Detroit to run those respective offenses and continue working. I felt... You know, I was feeling a little more that Slowick was the guy I was more concerned about leaving just because we have a quarterback outperforming expectations in his first year. You want that development to continue. All the pieces around him seem great. Uh, are you with me on this one where these are feel-good stories for us? Oh, they're absolutely feel-good stories, and they're wise stories because I'm so tired. I'm so tired of teams just fishing out a successful um, a coordinator from a successful team. That doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to be a successful coach because they were a successful coordinator. I mean, I think that we've gone a little too far with some of that. Some of the best coaches we have aren't the offensive or defensive coordinators, but special teams guys, but guys who basically more than anything knew how to delegate. They know how to lead and delegate. Mike Tomlin, um, John Harbaugh, you know, two excellent examples of that. So... You know, I think these guys are young and they need a little bit more experience. And I think they understand that. So while I know people looked at Ben Johnson, for instance, said, well, why didn't he take the Washington gig? Lots of money, you know, motivated owner, promised that they weren't going to meddle, all those kinds of things. But that's the wooing stage. It's just like promising, you know, 
the the wooing stage promises a lot of things and then when once they get that person locked in the boss sometimes can be like well i didn't anticipate this was gonna happen uh, i didn't anticipate colin I'm howard not. was gonna say something bad about my team i didn't anticipate yeah. talk radio was gonna say something that was gonna turn into a slogan and make me so embarrassed that my golf buddies were gonna be ragging on me so now i've got to straighten this out which turns out to be something silly if you stayed the course and just stayed patient. So yeah, I'm. I like that Ben Johnson priced himself out like a contractor and said, "I don't want to do this plumbing job. I'm gonna raise my price to the point that they can't. They can't bid." So there's a lot of back. There's a lot of interesting backstory to this one. There's a nice thread out there by Jason Reed at ESPN and Jenna Lane added to it that that and and I've heard behind the scenes it wasn't the money uh, that the commanders wanted him. They would have paid him. You know, like, because nobody knows what a coach makes. But this was more, and, and Jenna Lane basically said that, you know, this was a case where Ben Johnson just didn't feel great about the basketball people running the football show there. Uh, Good for him. And and also, uh, you know, the fact that he, you know, and, and I mean, whatever Washington is putting out there that, ah, he wasn't really our guy. Jason Reed pretty much put that to rest and like, okay, they were in the middle of a flight a private jet flight to Detroit for their second interview. If his first interview was horrible and they were already off him, they weren't going to be on that plane. Also uh, offered kudos to Ben Johnson for texting them while they were in flight, telling them to turn around or not in those words, but you know, obviously they were, um, they were not probably happy to hear that, but he also pointed out how Dan Quinn showed up, you know, at Reagan airport on his own, not flying private for his interviews. And like, you know, just a totally different vibe that Johnson was clearly their guy. And they lost out. Well, that's what happens, and you move on. Yeah. And uh, and I, you know, for me, selfishly as a fantasy manager, I'm excited to see Ben see those both of those teams keep everything intact. Right. This is one of the things about free agency that really gets me is, you know, you see a player who succeeds and has all this, you know, post all this production, and then they want to leverage that and I totally understand that they wanting to leverage that and make all the money they can while they can make it. It's a short career, but also you know, being mindful of what made you that great is not just you and it's them, right? I mean, their talents, their unique abilities, all those things are fantastic. And, and it's not like everyone who goes to another place doesn't succeed. Tyreek Hill would like me to know that you can go to a second place, but for every Tyreek Hill, there's an Alvin Harper or, you know, where it's the supporting cast and the scheme and everything doesn't necessarily mesh with what you were doing in the previous stop. So for fantasy managers, that's always something to watch when when things move on that the the changes aren't always for the best i mean they create new opportunities and those are all great but but in this case slowick for sure we talked about it a little bit before matt i felt like ben johnson maybe the you know the dan campbell's culture that he instilled and maybe they were working on someone or at least now he has time additional time but you ha he had to know he was like a prime candidate right i mean like yeah. the the Texans had no idea that Bobby Sloak was going to come in there and light the world on fire and be a prominent head coaching candidate. So I, I'm guessing their secession plan probably wasn't as far along as maybe Detroit's was. So anyway, feel good about both these guys staying there. Uh, no fucking that. This is fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. Because you just want you, you want these teams to remain competitive, and they've they've started something. See if they, especially in the Detroit's case, give them the chance to maybe finish it. So. Um, you know, but really both. I mean, the fact that they got in the playoffs in year one, the Texans got in the playoffs in year one with uh, Stroud and with Slowick as a part of that, that's awesome. But it gives you, you to me, if I'm an owner, 
or a GM making a decision like this. Do I want a young person who has been to one playoff game in a major role or two playoff games, one season worth of playoffs? Or do I want a guy who's maybe had multiple opportunities to to be in the playoffs and maybe lost some tough ones, won some big ones? You know, I would rather go that route, you know, from a coaching perspective, I think. There's a lot of layers to this than just that. But I think when you're looking at some of these things, I mean, I think teams are coaching the next Shane Steichen, and I think something you said there brings up Steichen. He's a young coach on the rise, right? Clearly a lot left to figure out in his career, but also he'd done a good job in two separate circumstances with two distinctly different quarterbacks in Justin Herbert and Los Angeles, his rookie season, and then Jalen Hurts and, and had a big hand in the development of two players, you know, with different skill sets and had success ultimately with both of them. So I think that there's something to build on there. We, the, the, it's a narrower band for Slowick, obviously. Ben Johnson came in and, you know, that offense, turn around quickly when he took over so and now we have two years of evidence with him so feel a little better about that but anyway yeah. we'll see the next cycle will be uh interesting because bill, bill belichick's gonna be looking for that job here, next time damn it. You here, didn't care this time. here's the thing that makes me laugh they're always copying a trend they always want the next the next the next you know what that tells me they don't know what the fuck they're doing that's correct i mean if you so, knew what you were doing you wouldn't be following a trend that, that and that that should be like the the determining factor like you know this is why we see so many retreads i feel like or we have seen up to this point is because the owners just don't want to look stupid yeah. right because they know that this is a crapshoot they're taking their chances well i think there comes a point where somebody has a little luck with a chance it's like all the lemmings at this cliff you know once the first one jumps in the rest the rest of them will, the, will jump right in the well, nfl is kind of like that i laugh though unless they're all laughing at the guy they hired like dan campbell and you know well that was the media i'm sorry they were the ones who were right. laughing at dan campbell and look who's laughing now so though right. they, there, there, there are qualities that i think you know you can see carry over in various coaches but you know i mean there's this is a unique dynamic in that you're you're dealing with a group of 53 men uh very different people personalities and your ability to manage those and and do the football aspects of that yeah. uh, come into play i mean you look like a, at a guy like andy reed is how connected is he to the youth of america today i don't probably not very I don't right, know, but, but he likes those nuggies. So he does. He does yeah. like those nuggies. He like look. He, I mean, you know, and th I think that's another thing we're probably looking at is that you know, to me, I want I want an offensive minded coach who calls his plays. Yeah, that seems to be a good path. Um, you know, until it's not. But I mean, that's you know, Arthur Smith to evidence to the contrary. There, I want someone who does that good, like yeah. Andy Reid. Right. I mean, I just think or Kyle Shanahan. Uh, I think when you see the you know successful models to me those that includes that, uh, but you know it requires other pieces as well like quarterbacks capable of executing your scheme at the level you want them to execute yeah. it at. Great offensive lines, you know, right, maybe a that. star versatile running back. Oh, were we and, talking and about I the Forty Niners? Like, let's talk about both those teams then. Uh, the Chiefs and the Forty ers will be pairing in Super Bowl Fifty Eight. I have this on good authority. Uh, that will happen on Sunday. You will be able to hear me on a special three-hour pregame show. It's on like your clairvoyant, Bob. It is. I knew yeah, it was coming I, here. Yeah. Uh, so let's make our Super Bowl picks. Our This will be my first time. At, well, I made this pick before the playoffs even started. But let's go ahead and get our uh, Super Bowl predictions in. Please begin, Matt Waldman. 
I'm I'm gonna keep it simple. I just I think that you know the 49ers probably have the better team all around. They have the better I think they have the better um, the better offensive line. They probably they have you know better collection of skill talent. Um, but I think at the end of the day, there are key players um, on the Chiefs who who match up well against anybody any given week. And I just, it's hard for me to um, not believe in Patrick Mahomes to be able to elevate his game and elevate that team for one one game or Chris Jones to elevate that defense or Legere. For one Sneed play when it matters for, the most. For one, yeah, those guys to me really understand. I think they still have enough of those guys in him and Kelsey to do that. So I think it's going to be, I'm going to go 26-24 Chiefs. So I predicted San Francisco before the start of the playoffs. I did not predict they would be playing the Chiefs. And now that they are, I have many of the same feelings that you do about the Chiefs because once they get here, like there is something to be said for experience in this, under these circumstances, right? Yeah. There's also apparently something to be said for having Patrick Mahomes as your quarterback. Uh, I'm going to stick with my, I'm going to stick with my pre-playoff pick and, uh, and, 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 and hope it comes through. I'm going to go with a little more offense for the 49ers in this case. I'm going to go 31-21 uh, and expect just uh, they're going to be leaning an awful lot on Christian McCaffrey. I can think of many worse things to lean on if you're leaning on him, but but I do think they have the kind of playmakers. Look, there's going to be, you know, I'm sitting here trying to come up with, you know, who I don't want to play in this game. It's Super Bowl, people. Play anybody you want. There are no players that are ruled out. The Kadarius Tony anytime TD is looking really good to me right now just because it's the Super Bowl, and that's the kind of crap that happens at a Super Bowl. Him or Kyle Juszczyk being the MVP would not surprise me. So, well, yes, it would. I'm lying. That was total bullshit. But, but pick, those guys having, you know, being important players or Noah Gray or whoever. I mean, pick, it, the, like, worth, pick the most unlikely cornerback to return. Uh, a tipped interception from Kadarius Tony, and I'll take that bet. <laughs> All right, so there you have it. 26-24, uh, San, uh, Kansas City Chiefs for Waldman, 31-21 uh, for Harris. We'll revisit those uh, next time around and see how we did. I'm Probably poorly. Down. There we go. Oh, I hate that part. I hate predicting things. You know... Predicting the future is tricky business, unless your name is Nostradamus, and then it's not tricky at all because yeah, you write right. things so vague that nobody can tell what the hell you meant. Anyway. That's right, and it was so long ago, it just turned them I, into a legend, right? Right, so, right. Yeah. All right, let's let's uh, let's dig into a little bit of uh, rookie chatter here. Uh, Drake May seems to be dropping. Feel it or fuck it? Oh, totally feeling it. Um, I, I really didn't understand. I was kind of, you know, when you're doing this, like you said, projecting, projecting predicting is difficult business. And you're always, when you're kind of doing this on your, when you're doing this on your own and not really paying attention to what other people right. scout, you look at it, and but then you see on the periphery, like everybody's talking about Drake May and, and you hear, oh, he's number two. And you don't know why, you don't listen to it. And you go, oh, he's the automatic number two. And I'm going, he's like my Desmond Ritter this year. Like, I don't see him as draftable. Like, I know that he's going to be draftable. He'll probably be drafted in the late first round, maybe the second or third round. But... I, I think he has a lot of issues to work on, and I'm going to rewatch a little bit more of his tape. I already did, um, just to make sure that I feel good about my stance with him. But uh, I think the decision making and the accuracy and some of the mechanics are are lacking with his game. He makes some huge big plays 
great athlete, but there's kind of some Mitchell Trubisky to his game in ways that I know, like fantasy people, they hear Mitchell Trubisky in there and uh, suddenly it's like, you know, rotten, rotten fish or something, you know, basically went, just came across. So yeah, he's someone I'm staying away from and I'm, I'm not surprised that some evaluators are leaking that idea at this point. Um, And this is the time before the combine that usually you can, you can probably believe a little bit of this, um, though think it is a fluid situation. Maybe people are getting the drop on being able to to say, don't believe anything you hear in draft season. The draft season's already started. That. that <laughs> Bo Nix. With all that said, Bo Nix rising. You feel that or fuck that? I'm totally feeling that. I like Bo Nix. He's somewhere in the range of he can definitely become a good I think he can become a competent starter in the league, maybe even a good one. Um, people are going to blame, you know, talk a lot about the Oregon offense and say, you know, it's a scheme and he looked better in that scheme in the SEC. He wasn't as good. Um, but I would say that if you watch his tape, he's accurate. He moves around well in the pocket. He makes some strong decisions. And the entire Oregon offense isn't just RPOs. They throw, they run a lot of RPOs, but they do oftentimes make him, you know, make some run some plays where he has to make full field reads, where he has to manipulate defenders, where he's actually creating in and outside structure. And I think he does that pretty well. He's some, he's a guy that I think would benefit most from having a year um, to sit. But I think that if you gave him like the Sam Howell treatment um, in terms of the time that he had off before he got to really play, I think you'll see Bo Nix rise to the occasion better than Sam Howell. I feel like we're bearing the Spencer Rattler lead here or the uh, J.J. McCarthy, the best quarterback in the class lead. Thank you for that tidbit, Jim Harbaugh. Appreciate you calling that out. Um, Maybe next time ask your quarterback to do something and we'll all know how good he is. We'll save some of that for the future. Matt. He, he I, thought I, chickens were nervous animals, right? And then changed his mind, right? I Something think that's like that. true. Yeah, that's okay. True. Yeah, we'll keep uh, Why do NFL teams miss on quarterbacks? Uh, I think because it's the most complicated position to study in, um, in sports. Um, and it requires, it's a performance, um, it's a performance um, position. And I don't mean sales performance, all you corporate people out there or whatever it is that you do. First place is an Eldorado, second place is a steak knife, third place is you're fired. There you go, David Mamet. There we go. So, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, it's not the corporate performance, it's on stage performance. You're on a stage, you have to interact with your teammates. It's like a band or like other actors. There's an improvisational element to it that is difficult. And so it combines a lot of technique and concepts and theories, as well as athletic ability and improvisational performance and intuitive ability. And there's no real great formula for that. You have you can recognize it when you see it, but it's kind of like, um, it's kind of like the apples, you know, it's like kind of like Apple when our, um, Steve Jobs would like have a product and he'd have eight million iterations of it, and the engineers would be coming up with stuff, and they'd go, "Well, I don't know what you want. We've already gone through this five times and three times. You like this, and now you don't." And Jobs was basically like, "I'll know it when I see it," you know. And that's that's not 
the most reliable thing to to have to deal with when it comes to valuation but you know teams have overemphasized the intellectual element of quarterbacking and they're just beginning to understand the processing part of it and the processing part is rooted in confidence and intuition you have to have that confidence of the moment you see it to let it go alex smith was more like the academic who saw it and said well we need to do some more studies for the next two to three steps before i decide i'm going to let it go and now it's too late it's already passed you by so those are the big reasons why they miss on it is that they're still understanding that it's in that the mind is the most important part of the equation and it's the mind's connection to the body and the confidence aspect it's an emotional intelligence that quarterbacks have to have and we're still at the early stages of studying the emotional intelligence of of talent you know in most it's a fun buzzword in corporate america um but it doesn't really you know it doesn't you know people love ei but it doesn't necessarily mean that they know how to leverage it and know how to recognize <laughs> it and or actually value it when they get it um especially the people in power who don't have it and are hiring people with it and then get have much consternation as a result of now being asked to you know trust those people and they don't and it's the same thing carrying over the nfl be interesting to see if drake may's uh assessment if he starts to slide out of that top three range we'll be looking for that in the coming weeks i'm gonna be looking at how early brock bowers goes seems like the next big producing rookie tight end we've had some great successes just this past year also somewhere someone's going but kyle pitts feeling or fucking brock bowers is the next big producing rookie tight end um if I had to err on one side of it because I'm on the fence right now, I'm going to err towards feeling it. Um, mainly because he is very talented. I think he's going to find a system where they're going to exploit what he does well. Um, I th I think that um, he's one of those players that has... He's a move tight end. He's more like Laporta. He's going to need a fit. Yes, you see him run over people in the open field and he's strong um but he he's someone and he can make some fantastic catches he does have some technique issues that are kind of understated um they're isolated to really one type of target where it's like high and away from him where he gets both hands on the ball and he claps it and drops them um so you know but that's i don't think that's going to destroy his opportunities but i just don't think he is a he's a technically sound blocker who can be used in a you know scheme to be in a maybe a two tight end set so if he winds up with harbaugh in in sandy in los angeles where maybe they harbaugh instills more two tight end sets mm -hmm. bowers could probably be a factor in in that regard um but i would say i don't think you're going to get the next i don't think he's going to top laporta I don't think he's going to top um, Pitts year one um, as much as those guys are, but I think he'll still have fantasy value. Maybe he's in the, he'll be more in the realm of Dalton Kincaid, who was underused on certain types of routes and could have been better, but still placed as one of the top 12 producers in uh, as a rookie in fantasy for a tight end all time. Um, but still, but people weren't like talking about him that way. 
I'd say Browers is more likely to have that upside right away. <clears throat> Surprise one here. Uh, Zach Robinson in as the coordinator in Atlanta for Raheem Morris. Uh, Kyle Pitts rebound, feel it or fuck it. One word, go ahead. Feel it. Totally ah, feel it. Go. Yeah, totally all feel right. it. I'm, I told right. I, Pitts is I too good. I didn't even have to put your feet yeah. to the fire as hard as I thought. You're no. all in. Yeah, I'm all in on Pitts. I'm, all, I'm good with that. All right. Good talent wins out at some point. He's yeah. still a very young man and uh, – Maybe we have the right offense for him. Matt, who is your first favorite football player? Ozzie Newsome, speaking of tight ends, who who were unbelievable and played that, that wide receiver motion, that role. You go watch him in the early 80s, and you'll see some of the most insane catches. You'll see you'll see some insane catches from a wide receiver. Um, you, you know, And he was a wide receiver at Alabama before they moved him at tight end. Um, so, you know, he was really kind of the pioneer of that move tight end position he and kellen winslow in the same era how about you uh like i like so many i would probably if i like one that caught my attention early on was mike curtis for the obvious reason <laughs> <You know? laughs> i uh, totally get you being a mike curtis guy <laughs> oh just, my god that is like that's so perfect i oh my god that uh, very that, tough guy middle linebacker for the colts uh mm, gained quite a bit of notoriety for decleating a fan who didn't have any cleats on but thought he would come on the field anyway they handled things differently back then they did uh look it up it's probably on your uh youtube device but i love that i like 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 i was like a you know like like a lot of guys in the trenches i was a big jim otto guy i thought he was great and mick tinglehoff i mean you know, <laughs> going going way back <clears throat> uh you know so uh, I played center as a kid, you know, started out when I was a, a wee little little eager and stuff. And so, you know, watching, had watched some of those guys probably influenced, you know, where I wanted to play. So there's a lot of guys. All right. So yeah. there we have it. That's, I've just dated myself completely, as that's, did you. That's well a, done. Yeah, I thought it was very good. And I look, if I if I weren't such a Browns fan, I would have said Joe Green. But uh, ah, there you, you know. go. Ah, I love Joe. loved all the Steelers uh, linemen yeah. on both sides of the football, all their linebackers. Yeah, Joe uh, Green and know, Mel, Mel Blunt, Blunt for me. Yeah, Mel Blunt, Mel Blunt was the I shit. mean, just yeah. what a what a monster. I, like you know, it, like go further. I mean, uh, probably my favorite player of all time, Randy White. Uh, oh, you know, the manimal. Eventually, yeah, yeah, just like <laughs> eventually, just like un un unrestrained uh, monster, uh, the manster, uh, as they call yeah. him. It was a it was a great, <laughs> he was a great player, and I actually uh, ended up on a flight with him. I think going to a Super Bowl, uh, which Super Bowl was it in Jacksonville many years ago, uh, was on the plane with him, and he was very congenial with everyone and seemed to be very popular with the folks. So, I love, love, I like so, a lot of football players. So I like Howie Long when he played. There are so many of them. I know we could go on and on, but who was your first pick in a fantasy draft? Your first ever pick. I want to say, I want to say Dan Marino. Probably, you know, because, I mean, the first year we played, you didn't know really, you know, there wasn't a lot of strategy. You just picked the guys who scored the most touchdowns. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. I think, yeah. you know, and I think the probably, you know, the early, uh, you know, Jerry Rice would have been on that list in the f first rounders and Joe Montana and all that, you know, that whole crew. But there, I, I want to say that I, it was for me at Dan Marino. Yeah, Rice was my first pick. That was my first ever pick was him at the end of the first round. I think I went Jerry Rice. Ricky Waters and Terrell Davis as my one, two, three in my first draft. That was that worked out well. So I feel like we didn't we didn't look for handcuffs back then, but there were some natural handcuffers uh, for the back in the day uh, for Dan Marino. And I think you know the Duke, uh, the the Marks brothers were 
uh, big pieces there back in the day. Uh, Dan Marino a, would just wipe the floor with every quarterback in this league right, right now. I think that first year, I'm just looking it up. He threw 44 touchdowns the, the first year I drafted yeah. him, the first year yeah. I played. So what it was a good season. For what me. an amazing quarterback. Just, I mean, if you if you're young and you listen to this and you have not seen Dan Marino, go watch Dan Marino. His release is unbelievable. It's it it's, is pretty nuts. Oh, what's yeah. the baldiest first round pick in a fantasy draft? Edron James, rookie year, first round. That 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 was probably my ballsiest pick. I would have to say. How about you? I can't. Yeah, I can't even think of one. I mean, I like you know over the years, like this almost would go as the stupidest, right? Like, what year did I like make the biggest mistake ever? And honestly, I tend to go pretty safe with first round picks. That doesn't mean they work out well. I mean, well, you know, two years ago, Jonathan Taylor would tell you that. Yeah. Um, but I was thinking, I was racking my brain on this, and I don't know that I've ever made like a, a super ballsy out of the, you know, out of the, out of the norm pick. That's not Bob Harris's lane. Well, there we go. So I don't hey, know if James right. was never. It turns out not that it, bad. It, it turned out a great pick, but I remember the reaction I got when I picked him because I could have had Eddie George or Marshall Falk. And I picked Edron James. I did end up taking Eddie George after that. Now, if I had taken Marshall Falk, um, I had already I already cleaned up in that league. But if I had taken Marshall Falk, it would have been crazier because that was his first year with the Rams. Oh yeah. So, so but yeah, people were like, "You're not taking, you know, you're not taking Eddie George, or you're not taking Falk." There were a couple, a number of other running backs. So I mean, I've had James so many was... disastrous first round running backs. You know, Kijana Carter, uh, Curtis Enos have realized drafting linebackers for your running back was not a great move yeah bears should have realized that as well apparently uh, there were so many I, there was a there was a year in this league i was in that was a home league we had a good time with folks but we had a we had a um we had a we had a, a gm who was just not quite on the up and up he he left fairly early from the league after a couple of years but i remember he was like I can't believe it was like the sixth or eighth round one year. And he goes, I can't believe this, but why is Barry Sanders still on the board? You know, when Barry had suddenly retired, he's like, I think <laughs> I'm going to take Barry Sanders, you know? Now, if that was like a, an 18th round pick and he has an idea of him coming out, that might've been something, but you know. Well, yeah. well, while we're talking about the running backs, what do most people get wrong about running backs? I think they overemphasize speed. I think speed has there's a minimum level of requirement for speed that is um valuable um and anything beyond that i don't want to say there's diminishing returns but if they don't have the rest of the baseline skills like good decision making managing the game good balance and footwork um who cares about speed and i think that a lot of times we get a little bit too enamored with seeing players who make like two to three big plays per game in college and then because they ha they can run at 20, 21, 22 miles per hour, they get vaulted up draft boards um, and they don't have the requisite skills to perform. I mean, take a look at Devin Singletary and what he did this year. I know it's an extreme, but it's a good example. You can look at him, LeGarrette Blunt, um, Emmett Smith. You know, none of these guys were fast. Walter Payton wasn't extraordinarily fast, you, you know. You want a minimum level of speed. You get the baseline, and then the rest of that, you, you'd rather look at the other factors that I'm talking about. All right, let's wrap it up with this. And I totally agree with that. I think, in, in like, I always like to watch the landing spots. I think that's a, 
that's a big factor as well. Uh, what's the city you'd like to watch an NFL game at their stadium? What, what stadium would you like to watch a game in that you have not? Yeah, I would say I'd like to go to Chicago. I think I'd like to see a state, even though the Bears haven't been great lately. Um, I think going to the Soldier Field would be kind of cool. And just because the city of Chicago is such a cool city, um, I think it'd be fun to watch a game there to experience kind of like the food and the and the atmosphere. And it's one of the oldest, you know, it's one of the oldest franchises around. So just being around, just kind of getting a vibe for that story franchise would probably do it for me. Yeah, I'd probably somewhere in Lambeau Field would be the place where, you know, much history has transpired sure. and, uh, and just like the whole, you know, the whole aura that goes with it. But but I am told, uh, you know, by people who have been to many of these places, the stadium in Santa Clara, the 49er stadium is amazing. Uh, and, uh, you know, the stadium in Seattle looks phenomenal. I would love to see that. I have watched a game here in, in Dallas. Uh, it was a Super Bowl many years ago, but uh, it, it's a it's an amazing venue just in general. So, like, that's like most of the venues anymore, the newer ones are just amazing places. Like to, malls. Yeah. Right. They're like malls and, you know, they're really user-friendly and the Wi-Fi is great and all, you know, all of the food is fantastic, all the things you'd like. So, so yeah, uh, the truth is we don't get a lot of opportunities to go to football games. If you work in this business, you're kind of tied to your home base and it's hard to get out and take days off to, to actually go watch an entire football game all by itself. Yeah, it's true. You know, I would say probably when when retirement comes, I'll probably take in more football games. I might even travel just to just to go experience it. And and to be honest, I'm almost kind of more in the mode of not wanting to go see NFL or college games. I wouldn't mind just seeing some high school games. You, you know, a, there's something well, about like the, just, the ease of the ease of uh, attendance, right? I mean, the just ease like, of attendance just. Yeah, you know something about you know just going the parking simple all day yeah i don't know we'll see old man thing yeah maybe that's what it is i don't know but i I missed i missed a tool concert by the way last friday night tool was playing the band tool in case anyone's wondering what the hell kind of tools i would go see play something it's a band called tool (laughs) that i've seen pretty much every single show at least i want to say since 2006 every opportunity that i've had they were here in Dallas. I saw them here in 20 and then 22, and they're back here again. Uh, I had a show that night. Uh, the singer's birthday tour is going to come. I was at his 50th birthday when he did that snow shows at the Greek in LA. He's doing one at Red Rocks this time, and, and they're really fantastic. So I'm thinking, I'll go see that instead. And I sat here doing a radio show solo. And it turns out if I had taken the night off, Dempsey was under the weather and wasn't able to do the show. So. I would have left serious in a big large, but as I sat here going, you know, trying to talk myself into all the great reasons why I didn't go. Many of the things that I think about football games, oh, you got to go find a parking place. You got to stand in the line. You got to drive downtown. You got to do it. And by the end of the night, I'm going, fuck, I wish I would have gone. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes you just have to grin and bear it and realize and just enjoy sometimes the little inconveniences are all they really are. It's part of the fun. Small inconveniences. It's part of the fun. Part of it's the part fun, of the though. journey. I would say if I could do a road trip, if I could do a road trip and take in all the different stadiums over the course of like a couple of months, you know, maybe, you know, each year, like maybe do like during the season, like do eight stadiums a year, you know, 
that that would be kind of fun at a certain point but uh well that will have to be like 30 years from now i'm retiring at, at 92 so okay uh, well you know we'll 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 do we'll that and we'll hit the that and we'll walk down the grand canyon we'll see how that works at, in our 90s right okay. all right what are we going to do in the interim we're going to work on the rsp the rookie scouting portfolio do tell yeah i gotta get back to that like tool bob's been getting that since around 2006 maybe a little later than that i don't know but uh it is available for twenty one ninety five at mountwaldman.com. You know the deal. We've raised over $60,000 since 2012 for Darkness to Light, which is a fantastic organization to prevent sexual abuse of children, as well as to be able to help adults understand how to deal with it when it is reported so that they don't compound the issue. You know, go see Paterno or, you know, the movie Paterno with Al Pacino, and you'll kind of get an idea of kind of the, the ignorant attitudes from very smart people. Um, with some of these things and how it can be just an awful situation um so you know darkness to light has worked with groups like penn state and and you know in addition to a variety of individuals and organizations to help out they're a very highly rated charity highly recommended if you want to donate to them d to l.org you can do that directly you can also buy the rookie scouting portfolio and up to five thousand dollars is sent to them each year that i've been doing this since 2012 um and uh, you're going to get a great draft guide for, you know, for the um, offensive skill positions. And, you know, it's, you know, 900 to 1,000 pages. And you can go to mattwaldmanrsp.com to learn more about it or just go to mattwaldman.com and get it. Thanks. I read all of those pages at least twice every year. They're fantastic, each and every one of them. Sometimes I read some of them maybe four or five times, even better still. <laughs> Look at you. Well, I mean, you know, I'm glad one person, you know, we got one person happy happy with it, so we're good from that angle. Yeah, every single year. All right, everybody. Have a great week. Enjoy the Super Bowl. Good luck. Love you, Matt. Goodbye. Love you.